Me and, me and Jerry have special edition handshakes. All right. <coughs> Excuse me, I may cough a couple times. This is, uh, this is exactly one month since I got sick. <coughs> I have something funky going on in my throat on a chronic level. Can you all hear me? We good, David? All your lights are beeping back there when they're supposed to beep? All right, cool. The power of... Power of the preacher in the hands of the guy running the soundboard. All right, I have one in my mouth right now. It's already half used. Okay, um, if you could turn to First Samuel chapter number seventeen, we will find ourselves back uh, in First Samuel. Um, uh, just to recap, since recapping is good, um, I remember when I was in college. Uh, it was third year. Physiology, human anatomy and physiology 311. This may, uh, may ring some terrible moments for you, brother. Uh, nursing, right? At some point. Physiologist sat down and said, first day, he said, uh, you're going to see a lot of things, and you're going to hear a lot of things in here. There are going to be some big words. There's going to be, this is articulating with that, and this is articulating with this, and this feeds into this, and this is... All these different things. We're going to go down to the cellular level. We're going to go down to the, the, uh, the macro level. We're going to deal with bones. We're going to deal with uh, uh, bacteria. And for you to survive this class, you have got to learn how these systems work. Not memorize all the different terminology. This was one of the greatest. If all the things I rem- of all the things I remember from Wright, apparently I didn't get much grammar there, but of all the things I remember at Wright State University, the one that stands out, the phrase and the sentence, I could put myself in the seat, I know where the seat was, Fawcett Hall, the phrase that sticks out to me the most is you have got to learn these systems, not memorize rote words. You don't just learn that this is a ventricle in the heart. You have to learn what happens when the ventricle isn't working, where does it show up? What happens when the bicuspid valve or the tricuspid valve doesn't work? What happens when the, the sodium ion exchange is out of whack in your cells? Or the potassium ion exchange is out, out of whack in your cells? What does the cell do? Does it go turgid? Does it, you know, does it expand? Does it shrivel up? And what happens when your entire body does that? You get disease, right? You learn the system. What happens when the muscle gets injured and it breaks down? It starts to dump stuff into the bloodstream, which feeds into your brain and messes up with uh, your, your, your carbon, your, your uh, carbate, carbate, carbonate levels, I believe. And that messes up with your, that, that reduces your pH. And your pH really is what actually drives most of the systems in your body, your, your level of acidity in your blood. It's not your oxygen. It's how much carbon dioxide you have in your lungs. Most people think, well, you, you asphyxiate because you run out of oxygen. No, you asphyxiate because you have too much carbon dioxide and your, your brain shuts your body down before you get too acidic and you die. And sometimes you can run out of oxygen at the same time. What am I saying? You've got to learn the systems. I don't just know what oxygen is. I know how it fits in the grand scheme of things. You hear Dad talking about electrons. I don't just know what an electron is. I could sit there and point at an electron and, and the different valence rings and all the different uh, p- parts of the periodic scale. But I know when a specific type of electron, a specific a copper atom, how it can be excited. And why we put copper in, in here and why we put gold here. Why? I've learned now the system. And he said, you only get to learn by doing a lot, a lot, a lot of repetition. Just tons of it. Just tons of repetition. 
The reason I was able to regurgitate all the stuff that most of you are like, just in one ear and out one ear. The reason I was able to regurgitate that is because I sat there and stared at books over and over and over. And I was in anatomy and physiology labs, and we had cadavers in there, and there was cadavers tore apart, and I could just sit there and put my hands in and feel this and feel that. And, you know, it's never blue and red and yellow when you get to the body. They all look the same. So you're a surgeon, you're in there, and there's a nerve plexus that runs from here. There's a brachial plexus, all these different things. And you cut the wrong thing. Instead of you just bleeding out all over the place, and maybe you can quickly fix that, you just cut somebody's entire arm function off. Because you cut the wrong thing, because you didn't learn the system, because you didn't apply yourself in the school, in the lab. Not just in the school, where you learn the theoretical things. You learn that, you know, you, you could be able to re wrote, recall stuff, but in practice. Like, you, the reason I went through anatomy was ultimately, at some point down the road, I was planning on being a physician or some, something in the medical field. And I didn't just learn the stuff to learn it. It's at some point, you're going to be sitting there, and you're going to hear the boom, 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 boom. And you get, there's that beeping and this beeping. And the nurse is saying, doctor, what are we going to do? What doctor are we going to do? And there's blood squirting all over the place because somebody made a mistake. Somebody wasn't paying attention. And you're the guy who's got to solve the problem like that. And the medical device reps over there saying, doctor, this is your first time doing this, putting this knee in. And I've watched this happen 558 times. Let me show you how to do it. And you know, the medical, you know, most doctors these days are just really, really good listeners and doers of what the professionals around them that have been put there that do things way more than they do, they sit there and they listen and they just listen and do what they tell them to do. I was applying for a medical device rep position for a company called Smith & Matthew. We'll get to the message here in a little bit. This is part of the message. It's a setup. It's a setup. So and if you need a knee transplant, come and tell me. I'll, I'll, tell, you, I'll tell you the best company to go with. All right, Smith & Matthew, get yourself a uh, uh, journey to knee system. Find somebody who does that. They have all kinds of technology they put in this knee. And so in the process of even trying to get a job with this company, I mean, I happen to know a client that I work for back in the landscape world. It was his personal landscaper, really good guy, called him, found out that, in fact, he worked for the company, and he happened to be a big shot in the company in the local area, knew a friend, uh, and sent me over to him and totally bombed the interview. <laughs> Because the one thing he wanted me to know was, what is our best product? And you, you, the reason I want you to know the best, best product before the interview even starts is because you're going to have to be able to teach this product to doctors. You have to know the product. Why? You know, this was an eye-opening thing for me. A lot of times we think, you know, the doctor's the pinnacle and they just know everything. He said some of the doctors don't have a, they don't have a clue in the world what in the world we're about to do to this patient. And they will pull us in because they are scared to death that they're going to mess something up. And they want you with your little thing that you roll open. You got all the tools there and you've done the procedure 5,000 times with very complicated physicians, often the physicians that actually built the product. You've been in and out of those rooms over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And eventually you run across the physician who's doing it for his first or second or third time. And it's not the doctor doing the procedure. He's, you're, he's just the hands. You're the one running the show. Why? Because you've learned the process and the procedure, how everything's supposed to work. I mean, they got robots now. That'll Three, four million dollar robots. You lay down on a bed, the robot is calibrated to the bed. I mean, and they sit there and they have a topo topographical image of the inside of everything. That robot knows how far to dig into your socket. It knows how far to etch into your knee. They got, they got knee systems now. They don't you know, save both the ligaments. They got all, all kinds of crazy stuff. It'll last 30, 40 years now. And you know who does all that? The guy who's actually learned the system. The doctor may take 10 or 15 years before he actually becomes very, very competent and knows how to do it like the back of his hand. And then the doctor's now teaching 
the new medical device route. But somebody has to sit down. If they want to be competent and be successful, you have to spend the time in repetition to learn the system. So we're going to go a little bit back. We're gonna, I'm going to remind you of what Brother Tim preached. And hopefully you haven't forgotten yet. If you did, this is a wake-up call that you are not paying attention well enough in church or the devil's just got... Here's the thing, Christian. The devil has all kinds of ways of teaching you just like I'm telling you, you ought to be taught in church and you ought to learn and do things repetitiously and listen to messages over and over again that have already been preached, that, that touched your heart. Because as soon as you walk out these doors, believe me, the devil has got the marketing system out here to repeat things to you 10, 15, 20, 30 times a day in some cases. Some of you all have already forgot everything about that happened at church. You don't remember what Brother Tim preached. You can't forgot what I preached. I forget what I preach half the time. Like I said... The way my brain works, I have to sit there and really, really work hard. It, it's a lot of work for me to remember things. You know, if there's some emotional connection to them, I'll remember them for the rest of time, even if it's a totally useless thing. But it, usually, if, if there's not an emotional connection, I have to spend a lot of uh, time in the chair studying something out. So the devil has built this world, and the flesh has built this world, to market everything in the world wrong to you as many times as possible and about what I know about business, five to seven times, sometimes upwards of 20, it's done burning your brain. And you'll sit there and think about whatever in the world it is out there just over and over and over again. You know, that's why they play music on the radio. That's what, that's what goes on my work. You know what? It, it takes a lot of undoing for the garbage that I have to deal with at work. Thank God that I got the night shift where nobody listens to the radios anymore because it's just an entirely different swing shift and just all the differences. I realized that about three or four Three or four days ago, I'm like, you know, there's, there's no more music. Like, I haven't, nobody plays music here anymore. You thank God for stuff like that. God, you, you've taken a problem like that out of my life. But you got to deal with stuff like that, and you got to figure out in here how to learn the biblical systems that the Lord has for you. So that way, when you go out there, you can deal, like we talked about Friday to some degree, with the giants that are going to pop up in your life. So tonight we're going to talk a little bit about, there's a whole message on point number two of, of Sunday. How do you prepare to deal, to face, to fight a giant? The reason I decided to preach this message, I believe the Lord laid this thing on my heart, it is a, it is a, the, the message on Sunday was kind of a, a follow-up to Brother Tim, reinforcement of Brother Tim's message. We're in a day and age where it's a TikTok day and age. Everything is 10, 15-minute videos, and then you're on to the next thing. And then you're on to the next thing, you're on to the next thing. And so Tim has a 35, 40, 50 minute message, and we, are, we have done forgotten what he said. The first 10 minutes, by the time we get to the next 10 minutes, and by the time we get to the next 10 minutes, we forgot about it. And by the time we walk out the door, we've forgotten everything. And then so there's a little bit of reinforcement on Sunday when Andrew comes in and he's mentioned some things about Brother Tim and about the setup uh, to the giants in the Old Testament, how they ended up in David's age, why David even had to face the giants because there was a failure in the Old Testament before him. And now today I'm going to reinforce what I preach just a little bit more. We're going to talk about when you are, are going to deal with the giants that we are facing out in the world today, and they are more and more numerous, and it's going to get worse and worse and worse. Uh, and and there are, there's not, I'm not just talking about Goliath-style giants. I believe there are, giants, there are giants at every level of your development as a Christian. We're going to get into that. Alex and Bella have giants they got to face. Brother Tim has got giants he's got to face. Brother George and Miss Linda have giants they got to face. Dad and mom have giants they got to face. Some of them are bigger and meaner and nastier, but some of us are not 
as big and huge of a Christians as we think we are. And there's, there are things that the devil, all the different things that the devil has that he will pit against the shepherd and the sheep, all the different things he has available, those are all things that are in some way, shape, or form a giant. So we have here, we find ourselves in 1 Samuel chapter number 7. I have to go fast here because I'm going through this outline twice. I saw some eyes just like, you know, <laughs> because there's actually two messages here. <coughs> you know, David, David faced, uh, he faced a real giant here, and then he faced a spiritual giant down the road. And I find when I read both stories in 1 Samuel chapter number 17 and then 1 Samuel chapter 11 where he's dealing with the giant of lust, I find that the David that was in 1 Samuel chapter 17 failed to be the David that was in first, or the David that was in 1 Samuel chapter or 2 Samuel 11 failed to act like the David that was back in 1 Samuel chapter number 17. There were things that the David in 1 Samuel did that were better than the things that David in 2 Samuel did. He had slid, he had forgotten. He had failed to apply things he had apparently learned from a very young age. And as a result, we find that the greatest giant that was ever defeated by the, probably one of the smallest people on the entire battlefield between two armies lost against another giant that the devil had in his back pocket. Not a physical giant, not a big hulking man, but a sin that took David down in front of in much the same way, there's just so many, so many similarities here. The same way in front of all Israel, the prophet says. You did this thing in secret, all Israel is going to see it. You did, this, you, you did these things over here in secret, all Israel is going to see it. All Israel is going to watch you knock that giant down. You mess up over here, all Israel is going to watch the repercussions of what happens over here. It's no, no, in, uh, no uh, uh, what's the word? Coincidence that I was talking about Barzillia. Bar- I believe he's in First uh, Samuel or Second Samuel chapter seventeen. Ironically, First Samuel chapter seventeen. There's the word cheese, right? Ten cheeses. We find that same word. One of the things that Barzillai brings in Second Samuel chapter number seventeen. Isn't it amazing? Like I said last time, how the Bible just has those different layers. So you know, like the height or the breadth and the depth, and you know, it's like. How the tree grows. The tree just doesn't grow, you know, straight in the ground, just one level. It grows all over the place. There are parts of your Bible that some of you will get into, and you'll grow way, 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 way down deep, but you won't grow wide or you won't go in breadth, and you'll fail as a tree. You got to grow everywhere. It's all kinds of little things. Here a little, here a little, here a little, there a little, here a little, there a little. That all works together to support the tree. You know what roots are? Systems. Root, what do they call it? Root system. Brother Tim, he's an illustration thief. I've seen people steal messages. I've seen people steal verses. I have yet to see a person steal somebody's illustration that they were thinking driving on the way to church last or a Sunday, and he brings, of all things, starts talking about a palm tree blowing over, and, oh, the reason it doesn't blow over, and the reason the, this, these live oak trees blow over. And I'm like, I'm thinking, of all the things I'm thinking of on the way, I'm sitting there thinking about this palm tree blowing over, and I'm like, man, it's been about 10 years since I've used that illustration. The reason the palm tree can blow all the way over here is because of the root system and the way that things design. It's designed to be able to handle that. I don't know where I'm going with this, brother. Um, 
<coughs> I'm going somewhere. System. It's, it's in, this, in the situation where the palm tree is placed. Now, a palm tree will do terribly up here. You can see where I'm kind of starting to get right now. You just kind of see where it's starting to click, where the cogs are starting to turn. Wherever you're placed, God will create the ability for you to grow the right way to endure whatever situation you're found, you find in that area. So David here, what is he? He's not dealing with um, Bathsheba here. His giant is not Bathsheba in 1 Samuel chapter number 17. The Bible says in verse 1, Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle. We, we've heard all this last time, so I can skip through. Verse number 12, Now David was the son that, uh, of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah. And of course, Bethlehem, Judah, he's now in Judah, just south of, uh, if you look at a map, just south of Jerusalem, which is just south of Benjamin, whose name was Jesse. We find out he's very closely related to, uh, to um, Obed and to Ruth. All right, a couple of generations removed there, and he had eight sons, and the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. So the three eldest sons go, they follow. Uh, they follow uh, Saul to battle, and the Bible says in verse 14, And David was the youngest, but the three eldest followed Saul. <coughs> now, I've said this a lot of times. Uh, I've been pre preached this a couple of times. This is, again, this is an entirely different way of looking at this passage. David had already served as an armor barrier to Saul. Many people post this picture of this like pathetically weak little David. You know, he, he's like, you know, he's like, he, it was the first big thing he ever did in his life. David already got called a man of war by many people in the army. All right, so he had he was going out, he was coming in he, to some degree. He was the armor bearer of Saul. You don't get to be an armor bearer of a king unless you got some like ability to handle equipment, and the king trusts you with his life. Must have been an important guy. Must have must have come across as somebody who was actually uh, responsible. Uh, you know, as a shepherd, he was a shepherd. Nothing important. Start to say, sir, again, just another element there. Uh, I'm not an important thing. I'm not an important person. Well, the shepherd got picked to be the armor bearer of the king instead of the son of a professional soldier. Why be that the case? Must have been a very responsible kid. Must have learned something from his dad, from his dad, from his dad, from his dad, from Obed, from Rahab. All those things back there. Learn something from somebody. So we have here, we have, uh, we have uh, David being the youngest. Uh, and he went in return from Saul to feed his father's sheep. Okay, so here's the critical part. Your routine duty that you've heard a million times, the, the, uh, what does what the saying go? Something is found on the road to routine duty. The will of the Lord is found on the road to routine duty. Something along the lines of that. What is your routine duty? You realize that David's routine duty as a shepherd was a whole lot different than when he was a king. So let's just take let's just take one of these brief little moments and go into outline number two. Believe me, I'll get done in time. Plenty of time. May not reference all of it. So let's go to second Second Samuel. <clears throat> second Samuel chapter number eleven. This is great. This stuff is great. Uh, how things like this tie together. Second Samuel chapter uh, number eleven. So he's called it. He's called it. A shepherd, his routine duty for a brief period was to be an armor bearer to the king. Moses said, when you, or no, Samuel said, the Lord said to Samuel, when you choose a king, he's going to take your sons, he's going to take your daughters, he's going to take a tenth of this, he's going to take your maidens for this. He's gonna, you know what he just did to David? Just took him up, snatched him up and said, you are now my armor bearer. Whether he liked it or not. <clears throat> 
So, for that period in David's life, you know what his routine duty was? Not being a shepherd. David the shepherd, for that brief period in his life, his routine duty was standing before the king and being his armor bearer. And, and the time when the king went postal, because Lord knows what kind of crazy situation he had going on on the upside of his head, playing the harp. Now, that may have been something that he used to do that he could carry forward from being a shepherd, but armor bearer, shepherd, those are two different functions, two different routine duties there. You know what happens? Time expires where he's like, you know what, you've served your time. Go back to being a shepherd. You know what David does? Back to the old, old routine duty. I, I get some echoes from Paul. I know how to base. I know how to be a base, and I know how to bound. You know what? The Lord's doing with David. He's saying, all right, I'm going to give you some responsibility. Here, you're going to be an arm bearer to the king. Everybody's going to forget about you. Nobody's going to know or they're going to remember none of that stuff. But I'm going to drop you right back down to being a shepherd so you don't get a big head. And more importantly, there's some things I'm going to develop in you while you are that shepherd doing the routine duty of a shepherd. We're in 2 Samuel chapter 11, right? And the Bible says, And it came to pass after the years where it was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle. You know what the routine duty of a king is? Not taking care of sheep, going forth to battle. What does the Bible say there? At a time when kings go forth to battle. I find that the David in 1 Samuel chapter number 17 walked in the routine duty that was put in front of him, and the David in 1 Samuel, or 2 Samuel chapter number 11 walked away from his routine duty as a king. See, Christian, one of the things that can happen is that you can be, and this is a perfect example for us, you can be in the perfect example. I haven't watched any of the messages down at Dr. Peacock's yet. Probably get, uh, get a hold of him here in the next couple weeks. I can imagine there was probably something along the lines of when you're old, sometimes it's really easy to quit or to back off from the things you used to do. Sometimes that's a natural uh, occurring and things just naturally start to slow down. But David here is older than the first David, and he just failed to do something he was supposed to do as a king. Prophet, priests, and kings, right? Have you ever been like David? And there was a time, there was a time, you know what that means? That means if it says it in the Bible, that there was the time when kings, that there was somebody saying, king, it's time you get out to battle. You've already done sent Joab and all the rest of the men at a time when king, king, you need to get out to battle, and it says, David, what? Tarried. He wasn't listening to somebody who was in there telling him, king, you need to be out to battle. If he wasn't listening to them directly, he wasn't listening to the Lord. Because I can guarantee there was some influence on him saying, you need to get out to battle now. Where you are belong as king. So, Christian, tonight, have you walked away? Have you looked back? Has something, has some distraction going back to the election since it just happened and some of you are already completely and woefully distracted that instead of the red wave, it was the purple bush? I guess. I haven't followed. Dr. Oz didn't win. Some guy with a stroke who's probably going to die in a couple months anyway, one, right? Distraction, King. Distraction. Talked about it on Sunday. We're reinforcing the system today. Perfect timing. Distraction. Distraction.
The devil will put a distraction in to get the king away from the battlefield where he's supposed to be with his people. And as soon as you walk away from that battlefield, you know what happens? Giant. And a giant you were not prepared for. And a giant you were unable to defeat because you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. Here. Many times we're in the right place here physically and the wrong place here. There we go. That's 95% of the churches around this world. Starting with the younger folks, it's, it's up to us to quit getting distracted by all the foolish things. Now, some of us, we got phones, we got computers. 95% of my work is done on a phone and on a computer. As in work, talking to people, talking to two, three, three four, five people this week, making four to five million dollars a year. That's what the phone's designed for to talk to those types of people, to communicate very high-level important information so that way business can be done. Not for you to sit there and watch uh, a Snapchat of a monkey pushing a wheelbarrow with an alligator in it off a cliff while a plane runs into it. <coughs> that's, that's where the king's getting set up for a giant coming his way. In that world, you just waste your time, waste your time, waste your time, and the devil has just got you marketed. To, he's got the tar marketed out of you, and he already has your day planned out when you wake up because you already, he's already ingrained into your brain all the things he wants you to be watching and dealing with. And instead of you having any control over that whatsoever, your body's just like, oh, I just want to watch this. Okay, so you get on three hours later. And if you're like me, man, that three hours can happen quick. You sit there and start off with one thing. You're sitting there, you know, typing on the computer, and you're, you're trying to get this problem solved, and there's that little ad that pops up for, you know, like some specialty coffee in Morocco that's, you know, made out of, uh, uh, what is it, toadstool juice or something like that. So you go off into that, you know, it's, it's without the caffeine and all others. And by and by, you, whatever you were doing that you were supposed to get done, you are no, three hours of your life is gone, and you're dealing with some crazy thing, over here, and, and it has nothing to do with anything, and you, you're like, man, I, I just, it, it just, it's all gone now. <laughs> My time's all gone, and nothing got done on the work here. Why? Because the king got away from where he was supposed to be. So, first point experience is developed in routine duty. So, what is routine duty? That's, that's kind of a critical thing we need to figure out. Uh, it is different um, depending on your job description. Uh, depending on your position in the church, depending on all kinds of things that God has put you in responsibility or taken you out of responsibility. Your routine duty is something that can fluctuate. It can vary with time, with position, with place, with situation. I've seen people go through, you know, normal people go through some type of crazy crisis, and there were certain parts of the routine duty that became a lot less important and had to go or get outsourced to somebody else so they could handle more important things that came up in the immediate. Not to say they did, they never happened, but it's like, hey, I can't. I, you just lose both your legs in a battlefield. Okay, well, I'm gonna have to find somebody else to mow the grass, probably. Well, you're not doing your routine duty because you're gonna, you know, I know somebody else is mowing the grass now, and I'm not gonna be ashamed that somebody else is mowing my grass because I can't do it anymore. There's a situational change. All right. <clears throat> so the shepherd. We got a contrast here between the shepherd and the king. These two passages are good places to just bounce back and forth between. Uh, the shepherd routine duty is caring for the sheep. We find that David here is obedient. 
his dad told him what to do. He is, in fact, in this position, being the sent. If you go over to uh, first or Second Samuel, you find that David is the one now sending. David is in the position of Jesse. He's sending Joab here, and he's sending a messenger here, and he's sending he's sending a messenger to go get Uriah, and he he's the one doing the sending. All right. Um, let's see here. I had another point. Maybe that was on a different piece of paper. Experience is developed in routine duty. Again, preparing to face giants. Dad mentioned the word faithfulness. The, the, the routine duty is the foundation for which a faithful person will gain all of his experience to deal with more important things. If you are not faithful in the routine physical things, the routine spiritual things, and those things, the spiritual things can be hard sometimes. But, you know, honestly, this, the physical things can be hard too. How many people, you wake up and you find it hard sometimes, just like mentally, like, i got to make myself breakfast or I'm going to starve today at work. And there's sometimes, man, there's, there's sometimes today I got, I got lost in thought and I was thinking, I'm like, man, I did not eat at all today and I didn't even want to eat and I, didn't, I don't even want to sit down and make this. I don't want to go, get this out, chop this up and do this. Some of you women folk, some of you men, you may love to do that. There's certain times in my life where it's just like I love to cook and I love to cook and I love making recipes and all this other stuff. It wasn't today. It was not today. I've been sick for a month, just all this other stuff going on, tired, wore out, running two different jobs. You've got to go to work as soon as I walk out the door here. I'm driving to work till 5 o'clock. All these things sitting in the back of my head. Got to preach on top of that. Trying to think of a message to preach. And it's just like, you know, you do got to take care of your food. Whether you like it or not, or you're going to starve to death and your brain is going to shut down about 20 minutes in and people are going to wonder why they even came to church tonight. <laughs> Routine duty is the foundation for which the experience comes in. So we find that, what is David doing? He leaves Saul, and he goes back to take care of his father's sheep. He's later made fun of for taking care of his father's sheep. Your routine duty, your routine duty, will be made fun of by other people who don't care about the value of routine duty. In the army. In the army. There will be people in here Christian, there'll be people in churches that'll make fun of you for getting up and reading your Bible consistently, for trying to pray, spending more time in prayer than you did last week, trying to trying to spend time with God's people, trying to work your rear end off so that way you can have more time at the church, hopefully at some point, trying trying to get, you know, do a job or find something to where you can elevate so you're not working in a dry blends factory, coughing your lungs out. Uh, maybe I can, you know, work in the tax world or something like that. Nothing wrong with that. It gives me more freedom, more time to do things that are more important here. But you still have to take care of the things wherever you're at until you get to those levels. Thinking about, hey, God, if you let me go up here, that'd be great. That gives me some ability to do more stuff over here. Gotta get back to my message because my brain's blanked out. <coughs> See, that's a frequent thing that happens with you. Uh, experience is developed in routine duty. Shepherd, so the job description. He had, he had the job description of an armor bearer. He was also a slinger. You go over to Judges chapter number 20, verse 16. It talks about a bunch of Benjamites. Again, I mentioned Benjamin being just a little bit north of Judah, so there was a lot of interaction there. It says there were 700 Benjamites who could sling a hair or sling something at a hair's breadth. So I imagine there was probably some Benjamites that came into where David was at and just kind of taught him some stuff. You know, those people, you know what they had to do? They had to get out and... Uh, There's usually two ways you got a sling or any type of instrument of war, a shield, you know, armor. Either you would make it or somebody in your family would make it and give it to you. So the weapons that you 
use as a, as a shepherd to fend off the lions, the tigers, and the bears, the spiritual weapons you'll get from either you putting in the effort or from somebody else putting in the effort and handing it to you. But in either case, you still have to learn how to use it yourself. That's the key. The silver spoon in the mouth or came from absolutely nothing. In both cases, you are still responsible for taking what you're given or what you don't have and creating something with it and learning how to use it. It didn't matter who gave David the sling. It didn't matter where he got the sling. What mattered is he hung out with people like the Benjamites who could sling uh, a stone at a hair. There we go. Sling a stone at a hair's breadth. So like those, one of those little receptacles back there. I could sit there and sling it because they probably had 20-20 vision, and I don't. I'm having a hard time. It's like this little spire. But they could sling it, and it would hit that thing every time. Every time, every time, every time, every time. So it wasn't David showing up as some random guy who just happened to have this sling attached to him. It was a shepherd doing his routine duty, Again, going back to his father's house, doing things that were below a lot of his brethren because he was the youngest, so he was technically below in every way, shape, and form. While he was there, though, he learned how to sling a sling. And as I mentioned, giants earlier in all shapes and sizes, for a shepherd boy, isn't a lion and a bear probably very similar to a giant? You know what the giant, or you know what the lion and the bear are to the sheep and the shepherd? They're diametrically opposed enemies. Not much later, after he killed those two, he finds himself with an actual giant who is the diametrically opposed enemy of the sheep of Israel. And the experience that the king needed to hear to give the okay for David to go out and face the big giant, the experience for that moment came in the routine duty of being the shepherd. God, I don't like being the shepherd. God, I don't like dealing with sheep dookie. I don't like the smell. I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't like people making fun of me because I'm nothing in a nobody and a nothing burger in the situation right here. And you know, his brothers apparently rubbed it in probably a lot more in front of those people than, than you and I read in the story there. I believe that his brothers had been doing that for a very long time, making fun of him, laughing at him, thinking it's, oh, it's just a little shepherd, a little ruddy shepherd. Oh, yeah, Samuel came down. Who's Samuel anyway? He's some old dude. He doesn't, you know, somebody that dad talks about. You know, you get friends with him. You know, the preacher, you know. And annoy that little punk. Kind of see ties to Joseph and his brother. You know, very similar thing there. This little spoiled younger punk guy, you know. And he's out there where, you know, the same same situation. There's so many different correlations here. David is all by himself with the sheep and the lion and the tiger, and the, or the lion and the bear up here. Stinking Wizard of Oz just messed everybody up. Put that extra tiger in there that doesn't belong. You know what? He's all by himself. Now, let's fast forward. Let's put him with the actual giant. The situation is infinitely worse. Not only is David the only guy out there, he's also the smallest guy likely on the battlefield. He's got two armies, neither of which are for him. There will be times in your Christian life, Christian, when you come in the point of a shepherd, you, you, are, you are nobody in the church maybe, or you're a new uh, Christian, you got a couple things, you got a wife, kids, family, something like that, and you're thinking, oh, Andrew, you're talking about me. Yeah, I am, I am actually. I'm talking about me and, and my wife and my two kids and, 
uh, Brother Travis could have a kid. This is for all of us. And there could be an entire church against you trying to defeat something that the church should be against, but they're too scared to do it. Hopefully this is not this church, and this is we're talking about just the church as a whole. But David walked out of the camp of Israel hoping and trusting in God because if he didn't, he had nobody else vouching for him at all. David's out on the battlefield alone. Totally. Not only that, everybody is rooting against him, including his own brethren, his own king. The only person that David had for him was God. The only one. The only one. There will be times in your Christian life, even as a shepherd, even as some nobody that nobody knows, on the backside of nowhere, and God was there when you had a lion and a tiger and a bear and all the other things, the devil stinking sent your way to try to take you out because he, the devil was there at that anointing and he knew what that kid was going to be if Samuel dumped oil on him because the Bible says before that that the Lord let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And if you think the devil doesn't have his, try to have his way destroying preachers like he did with Samuel's two sons and like he did with Elisha and Elijah and all the different times the devil popped up and tried to take them out, if you don't think the devil is trying to get every little deed and try to undo everything that any good man on this earth has tried to accomplish for the Lord, you are sadly mistaken. You know what that, those lions and those tigers were? That was the devil trying to destroy what God had allowed to happen off Samuel's hands. Trying to destroy the work of Samuel. Trying to destroy the work of all the men before Samuel. If I can take that kid out, I can ruin something that God said was a man after my own heart who's going to be taking the place of this king that I've already done corrupted over here. I want Saul to be my king. I don't want this David kid to even show up to the battlefield. I'm going to try to take him out by sending a couple of my mini giants. You know, these little kids, they, they don't have to go up against the big Goliath. They got plenty of lions and bears after them. Some of you boys can be bears and lions to the girls, and vice versa. Some of the things we tell you not to listen to, or we tell you not to see, you know what those are? Lions and tigers and bears. And they'll destroy you while you're trying to learn how to be a shepherd. And if you let that happen and you don't trust in God to help you get the victory over those things, you will not have the faith that God gives because of the victory that God gives to go up against the bigger obstacles in a far more impossible situation. But remember, I said there is a second half to this story. David finds himself alone in 2 Samuel chapter number 11. He is now the king. He is the sender. He is the commander. He is the person who says, I want your son and your daughter and everything that Saul had, David had. Plus. And Christian, you can live exactly like David. You can be a man after God's own heart in every way you possibly can as far as being perfect as a Christian. As Paul says, getting into the Pauline epistles, you can do what you're supposed to do. For a certain period of time, you can, God can give you some major victory and some little things that gives you enough faith and gives you enough strength 
to be able to stand in front of everybody and make the right decision. And God will let that, he will take that rock. It ain't the stuff Saul had. Believe me, David, David's now got that in 2 Samuel. He's got, all this, he's got all the kingly stuff. He's walking around with Goliath's sword. Saul had no sword in comparison to the one David was dragging around. No sword in comparison. Paled in comparison. But God will take that rock and he'll kill a giant with it. If you'll walk out on the field, and he'll take the staff and kill a lion and a bear with it. It's the Lord that David said is the one who did it. It's the Lord that will feed your, your flesh to the air. It's the Lord that defeated the, the, the bear and the lion. It's the Lord that can overcome my eyes and the lust that are, is in my eyes. And David had a lapse. A couple times in David's life he had lapses. We even find that one time Joab, sometimes God will use people that you know or you know it's in the Bible. This guy's going to get destroyed for all the stupid stuff. You, and God will still say, even the blind squirrel gets a nut every once in a while, the squirrel reference. Even the blind squirrel gets a nut. King, this is a bad idea, numbering the people. God said, don't, 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 don't. And he didn't listen. And the Bible says, the time that kings are to go forth to battle. <clears throat> the fact that it says kings there means there's a miracle that God allowed a shepherd boy to get to that position in the first place. Christian, how many of you, 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 you look back, you older folks, you look back and you say, God... I, you started me out as a, as a nobody, as a nothing, as a, just, a, just an absolute nobody. You gave me some little victory here and there that, that none of these other guys in the army, they, none of them had to deal with. You know what, though? Don't get mad at the army people so much because I bet there were some people in the army. Here's the critical part. This is why you ain't supposed to judge. Because some of the people in that army survived the wars of Saul and never committed adultery. They were wimps there, they were in the moment of failure, but maybe some of them saw David, got the thing right, and said, you know what, follow that guy. And they went on, did everything as men they were supposed to do. You never hear them about again. And then they watched their king do something terrible like that. And they're like, how in the world? God, please never let me do anything like that. And some of those guys, as a result of David's example way back there, they go on to do to beat giants that David failed to beat. And if you get mad at the people too much, king, or if you get mad at the king too much, people, God may put a situation in your life that becomes almost impossible for you to deal with too. Sufficient unto the day in the time of a shepherd, in the time of a soldier, in the time of a king is the evil thereof. And for David, the lust of the eyes was much harder for him to deal with alone than was defeating Goliath and defeating a lion and a tiger and a bear. Because the devil will watch you like a hawk and he'll figure out whatever. He's got so many different giants and so many different lions and so many different bears and so many different things in his back pocket. And if you think just because you defeat one of them that you can defeat all of you, better be very careful, Christian. The devil has, he has the tool. And if the Lord lets him in, Job, if the Lord... And he'll sit there and he'll ask for eternity. That's his primary job. You know what my primary job in my company right now is with my wife? I'm literally just going out and finding people that got tons of money and just trying to figure out how we can solve problems that we know other people that we know with what the skill set that she's got and a couple other people behind her got can't solve. 
And the purpose of a marketer is to just sit there and ask 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 times in different ways, text, uh, email, uh, this message, that message, give you a call, do all these different things. And eventually, one of them will trip your trigger and you'll call me back. I write copy for her business. I write things that I know will trip the triggers of people that have problems that I know they have at the levels they're at. You know the devil is exact. He, that's his system. Not that what I'm doing is evil or anything like that, but that's the system. <laughs> Some of you are like, oh my goodness, you heathen, repent, you know? That's the exact way the devil approaches. I'll attack you with a lion and a tiger and a bear. Okay, that tiger, man, that tiger. I don't know where they got tiger in the Wizard of Oz. Some of y'all are like, you watched, you watched him too. Come on now. We all know that's like common knowledge. It's not me going out and watching new stuff these days. That's just, you know, that's built into the culture, unfortunately. In closing, <coughs> lion's there, the tiger's there, the bear's there. And if that doesn't work, the devil will throw the giant. And if that doesn't work, he'll throw the lust. And if that doesn't work, he'll throw the financial problem. If that doesn't work, he'll throw the marital problem. If that doesn't work, he'll throw the spiritual problem. He'll throw the uh, homosexual person at work that you've got to deal with problem, waiting to trip you up. Just, to, just anything in the world, and he'll just guide every word that they say. The devil's got a million things in his back pocket. The question is, Christian, are you using the tools that God has given you as a shepherd, do you need the armor that a king has? No, you don't. You need a stone. You need a staff. And you need God's providence. You need God's victory in other parts of your life, the faith that he gives you from those things. You just need whatever he, whatever he allows to put in your hands. When it's time for you to be a soldier, yeah, you're going to be out fighting Ishbi, ben or Ishbo, by Benadab, or whatever his name is. Yeah, you're going to need a sword then. You're going to need some armor then. Why? Because you're going to be in the thick of things, dealing with much bigger issues and much bigger problems when you get married. When you, get married, when you get married, you better get a big sword and you better get some armor on because you're going to need it. You're going to need to toughen up. Okay? The sling and the sword, or the sling and the staff are not going to work when you get to that level of battle. And if God allows you to become a leader of some people down the road in some way, shape, or form, leader of your own house for sure, but a minister, a preacher, a teacher, a pastor of a church someday, whatever the case may be, some leader where people are behind you, you're going to need a little bit more armor than the shepherd. The shepherd was never something that just stayed the same. He evolved into what was required for the position. And God gave him all the tools to do that. You know what God gave him? You know what? You know, here's the end. We're done. Two minutes and we're done. You know what God gave King David to get out of that lust? War. Battles. Hard battles. When all the rest of the younger, tender folk got to stay at the house, the older folk were done with their wartime, their war. You know what God will do? He'll put warfare in your life, Christian. It's what does Paul say? Spiritual stuff, man. We're wrestling against flesh, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and rulers of the darkness of this world. Take unto you the whole armor of God. Why? Because it's going to keep you out of trouble. Not just take unto you the whole armor of God and sit there. Take unto you the whole armor of God because you're about to be in a battle. God's going to give you the battle. The battle, the thorn in the flesh, whatever in the world that, that gets stuck in your life. He will put that in your life to keep you, believe it or not, out of trouble. You think the trouble is the battle? No, the trouble is what would happen if you didn't stick it out in the battle. 
And that is the summation of the message. <coughs> God will send you giants. God will allow the devil to send you giants, but he'll give you all the tools, Christian. Lions, tigers, bears, oh my. Uh, giants, spiritual problems, physical problems, health problems. Somewhere in your life there's a tool that he's put there that is there for your use to survive that situation. And the question is, are you going to depend on the Lord to empower that tool to get you by, or are you to let the devil have his way with your life? So. You said the verse...